Lesson 8 for May 19 through to 25, ready for teaching on May 26, Worship the Creator. Sabbath afternoon, May 19. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the Creator and that your word tells us that at the end of time, that creation is to be so important in the message that we take to the world the message of you as the Creator and of Jesus as the soon-coming Saviour. And as we look at your word this week, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be here to guide us and to bless us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 14 verse 6 is our memory text for this week, and it says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Let's read that again, Revelation 14 verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. As Seventh-day Adventist Christians, we believe in the biblical concept of present truth, as expressed in 2 Peter 1 verse 12. It's basically the idea that God unfolds truth to humanity at the time it is needed, with more and more light being given by the Lord over the ages. The first gospel promise in Genesis 3 verse 15 revealed to the fallen pair that hope would come through the seed of the woman. The promise to Abraham that he, as it says in Genesis 18.18, shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, is a fuller revelation of the gospel promise. The coming of Jesus, who proclaimed that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, in Mark 10.45, is of course an even greater revelation of the gospel truth. Today we believe that the three angels' messages of Revelation 14.6-12 is present truth, for those living in the last days prior to Christ's return and the fulfilment of all our hopes as Christians. This week, we will focus particularly on the first angel's message, for it contains truths crucial for those who seek to stay faithful amid end-time perils. Sunday, May 20, The Universality of the Gospel Question, read Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, Matthew twenty four fourteen, and Matthew twenty eight nineteen. What is the similar theme found in these texts? How do these texts work together to help us understand how important outreach and witness are to our purpose as a church. Revelation 14 verse 6 Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue and people. 
and Matthew 24, verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And Matthew 28, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In a sense, one can say that the first angel's message is the Great Commission, as we read in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen as well, given now in the context of the last days. It is indeed present truth. Notice that all three texts place an emphasis on outreach to all the world, to all the nations, and to every nation, tribe, and tongue, and people. In other words, this message is universal in scope. Every person needs to hear it. Question. Read Galatians chapter 3 and verse 22. What does this text say that helps us to understand why all the world needs to hear the gospel? Galatians 3.22 But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The universality of sin explains the universality of our mission and calling. Every nation, tribe, tongue and people have done wrong, have violated God's law and have been confined under sin. Adam's fall in Eden has impacted every human being. No nation or tribe or people has been immune. We all face the immediate consequences of sin, and without a remedy, we all would face the ultimate consequence, eternal death. That remedy, of course, has been provided. The life, death, resurrection, and heavenly sanctuary ministry of Jesus, who is the only solution to the sin problem. Everyone needs to know the great hope of what God has offered them in Jesus Christ. This is why Seventh-day Adventists have gone throughout all the world, seeking to bring the message of Jesus to those who have not yet heard it. And so to finish today, why is spreading the gospel message to others so spiritually beneficial for those doing it? That is, why is reaching out to others one of the best ways to be prepared for the coming of Jesus? Monday, May 21, The Thief on the Cross and the Everlasting Gospel In Revelation 14, verse 6, the message to be proclaimed to the world is the everlasting gospel. It's a message of hope for people in a world that, in and of itself, offers no hope at all. Question. Read Luke 23, verses 32 to 43. How does this story reveal the great hope of the everlasting gospel for all sinners? Luke 23, beginning at verse 32. There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. 
Let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Assuredly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Writing about the thief, Ellen G. White said that although not a hardened criminal, he had been seeking to stifle conviction about Jesus, and so had plunged deeper and deeper into sin until he was arrested, tried as a criminal, and condemned to die on the cross. And that's from Desire of Ages, page 749. Yet what happened to him? As he hung on the cross, the thief got a glimpse of who Jesus was, and so he cried out, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And how did Jesus respond? Did he say, Well, friend, I'd like to help you, but you should not have stifled your convictions by plunging deeper and deeper into sin. Did Jesus quote one of his earlier sermons? Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. That's from Matthew 5.20. Did Jesus in any way bring up the thief's past mistakes? No. Instead, Jesus turned to this criminal, this thief with a faulty character who had nothing to offer in the way of righteousness and who earlier had been cursing him, as we read in Matthew 27 verse 44, Seeing him as a new man, Jesus said essentially, I am telling you right now, I am giving you the assurance right now that your sin, your crimes, your faults are forgiven, and thus you will be with me in paradise. Here is the everlasting gospel, the foundation of the first angel's message. Without this truth, nothing else we teach about the law, the Sabbath, or the state of the dead matters. What good are these teachings without the everlasting gospel at the heart of them all? And so, to finish the day, what hope can you take for yourself from this story? Tuesday, May 22. Fear God and give glory to Him. After talking about the proclamation of the everlasting gospel to all the world in Revelation 14.6, the first angel expands on this message. Therefore, as we proclaim the everlasting gospel, we must include the truths that are part of this gospel message for this time. In other words, present truth for the last days also includes Revelation 14, verse 7. Question, read Revelation 14, verse 7. What does it mean when the angel says, Fear God and give glory to Him? How are we to do that? 
How do these concepts fit in with the gospel? Revelation 14 verse 7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. To fear God and to give him glory are not unrelated concepts. If we truly fear God in the biblical sense, we will give glory to him. One should lead directly to the other. Question. Read the following texts. How do they help us to understand what it means to fear God and how that relates to giving glory to him? First of all, Genesis chapter 22 and verse 12. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad and do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Exodus 20, verse 20, And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, that you may not sin. And Job 1, verse 9, So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? And Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. And Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In the verses above, the idea of fearing God is linked to obeying him. And when we obey God, when we do what is right, we bring glory to him. Although it is often said that to fear God is to be in awe of God and to reverence him, it should go deeper than that. We are fallen. We are sinners. We are beings who deserve death. Who hasn't at moments faced the startling realisation of the evil of their deeds and what they would deserve at the hands of a just and righteous God for those deeds? This is the fear of God, and it is the fear that drives us, first to the cross for forgiveness, and second to claim the power of God to cleanse us from the evil that, if it were not for the cross, would cause us to lose our souls. As we read in Matthew 10.28, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And so to finish today, what has been your own experience with fearing God? How could a good dose of this fear be good for us spiritually and help us to take our faith and what God asks of us more seriously? Wednesday, May 23. The hour of his judgment has come. In the first angel's message, the idea of fearing God and giving glory to him is linked to judgment in Revelation 14 verse 7. Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. If the Bible is clear about any teaching, it is clear that God is a God of justice and of judgment. One day the judgment and justice so lacking in this world will indeed come. 
No wonder people need to fear God. And that's why the everlasting gospel also includes the reality of judgment. What is the relationship between these two elements? The gospel means good news. This means, in turn, that although we are all sinners and have broken God's law, when judgment day comes, like the thief on the cross, we will not face the penalty and punishment that we deserve for our sin and law-breaking. Question. Read the following text, then ask yourself, how well would I do standing on my own merits? First of all, Matthew 12 and verse 36. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. And Ecclesiastes 12.14 For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And Romans 2 and verse 6 Who will render to each one according to his deeds? And 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 5 Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then everyone's praise will come from God. The God who knows the numbers of hairs on our heads is going to judge the world. But that is precisely why the everlasting gospel is such good news. Judgment comes, but there is no condemnation for the faithful followers of Jesus, those washed, sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, as we read in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And also 1 Corinthians chapter 6 Verse 11, And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And all this because Jesus is their righteousness, and his righteousness is what gets them through that judgment. As we read in Testimonies for the Church, volume 5, page 471, Man cannot meet these charges himself. In his sin-stained garments, confessing his guilt, he stands before God. But Jesus, our Advocate, presents an effectual plea in behalf of all who, by repentance and faith, have committed the keeping of their souls to him. He pleads their cause and vanquishes their accuser by the mighty arguments of Calvary. His perfect obedience to God's law, even unto the death of the cross, has given him all power in heaven and in earth, and he claims of his Father mercy and reconciliation for guilty man. End of quote. And so to finish the day, what does the reality of judgment teach us about our utter need for forgiveness? How can you learn to give to others who have wronged you the kind of grace and forgiveness God offers us through Jesus? Thursday, May 24. Worship the one who made the heavens and the earth. Question. Read again Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7. 
What are the specific elements found in the first angel's message, and how do they relate to one another? Revelation 14, verse 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Along with the gospel, The call to witness to the world and the call to fear God and give glory to Him comes the call to worship God as the Creator. And no wonder, all these other aspects of present truth, the everlasting gospel, the call to witness, the judgment, what do they mean apart from God as our Creator? These truths and all other truths arise from the foundational truth of the Lord as the One who has made all things. By worshipping the Lord as Creator, we are getting back to basics. We are getting back to the foundation of what it means to be human and alive and unlike any other earthly creatures, to be made in the image of God. By worshipping the Lord as Creator, we acknowledge our dependence upon Him for existence and for our future hope. This is why the keeping of the Seventh-day Sabbath is so important. It's a special acknowledgement that God alone is our Creator, and we worship only Him. That is, along with the Gospel, along with the judgment, the call to worship, the Lord as Creator, is given preeminence here. Question. Read Revelation 14, verses 8 to 11. What do these verses say that could help us to understand the importance of worshipping the Lord as Creator? Revelation 14, beginning at verse 8, And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image, and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself should also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends for ever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name." As final events unfold, pressure to worship the beast and his image, rather than the Creator, will come upon all the world. If we consider the fearsome warning about the fate of those who worship the beast and his image, we can better understand the emphasis on worshipping God as Creator, as the only one worthy of human worship. In the final crisis, this truth will become more crucial than ever. So, to finish today... Take time to dwell on the incredible marvels of the created world. What can and do they teach us about the one who created it all, and why he alone is worthy of our worship?
Friday, May 25. Bible students have long seen a link between the call in Revelation 14.7 to worship Him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters and the fourth commandment in Exodus 20 verse 11 when the Sabbath points back to the fact that in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. However closely related the language, there is a change in which the text in Revelation points to the Lord as the one who made the fountains of water. Author John Baldwin argues in Creation, Catastrophe and Calvary, Why a Global Flood is Valid to the Doctrine of Atonement, uh, published by the Review and Herald Publishing Association in the year 2000, and we're reading from page 27. Assuming divine intentionality behind the phrase fountains of water, why does Jesus have the messenger break the parallel listing of things mentioned in Exodus 20 verse 11? Why does the angel mention fountains of water and not some other class of created things such as trees, birds, fish or mountains? Perhaps the reference to fountains of water in the context of a divine announcement of the arrival of a unique time of divine judgment seeks to direct the reader's attention to a previous period of divine judgment. Perhaps God intends that the possible allusion to the flood by the words fountains of water should underscore the truth that he is indeed a God of judgment, as well as a God of everlasting faithfulness and graciousness, both evidenced in the narrative of the Genesis flood. If so, the personal and spiritual implications of the flood connotation triggered by the phrase fountains of water might be to encourage the reader to take seriously the momentous arrival of a new end-time process of individual divine judgment now announced by the first messenger of Revelation chapter 14. And that brings us to our two discussion questions for this week. 1. Isaiah 53 verse 6 reads, All we like sheep have gone astray. The word in Hebrew used in this text for all of us is kulana. In the same text, Isaiah says that the Lord laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. The word for us all here too is kulanu. How does this show us that no matter how great the sin problem the solution to it is more than sufficient to solve it. And question two. What other lessons can we learn from the story of the thief on the cross? Suppose the thief received a pardon and was brought down from the cross and survived. How different a life do you think he would have lived? What does that answer tell us about the power of Christ to change our lives? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled House on Fire and it's by Andrew McChesney who writes many stories for Adventist Mission. Dan Freen, a utilities company manager in the United States of Michigan, stopped attending the Protestant church of his youth for about 20 years. His wife, raised in a Seventh-day Adventist home, also wasn't an active church member. 
But the day came that Dan wanted to return to church, so he walked into his former church on a Sunday morning. What he saw and heard surprised him. This was not the church that he had left. He found that the church now endorsed homosexuality and other unbiblical practices that it had preached against two decades earlier. Disappointed, Dan told his wife that he longed to find a church that followed the Bible. His wife remembered the Adventist church in the nearby town of Muskegon, where her parents were members. The couple began to attend worship services with her parents. At the same time, Dan read every Ellen White book that he could find. On a Tuesday night, after a prayer meeting, he stopped the pastor in the parking lot. "'I want to let you know that I am ready,' he said. "'Ready for what?' asked the pastor. "'I am ready to be baptised,' Dan said. "'I've been reading Ellen White's books, I am ready, and I am on board.' The pastor went through baptismal studies and found that Dan did know and agree with the church's teachings. Dan was baptised, his wife was rebaptized, and their son also was baptised. "'I praise the Lord that Dan came in despite our lack of personal outreach,' said the pastor, Pastor Cameron de Vasher. "'I know that personal ministries work and evangelism are absolutely not dead, but I have a feeling that there are a lot more Dans out there just waiting to be gathered in.' He said Dan's experience also speaks of the importance of Ellen White's books. I think that there is power in the spirit of prophecy, so we should feel no shame in sharing those books, he said. As for Dan, he has led multiple evangelistic campaigns at the church, served as a deacon and participated in prison ministries. Members describe him as a house on fire. This is a person who has been in the church less than five years and he is preaching the word and winning souls, Pastor Devasha said. He reminds us that the work of the local church is first and foremost evangelism, winning souls and discipleship, and every member should have a part in that work. Your reader for this week's Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been Dr. Percy Harold. It has been produced in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind, distributed under the auspices of the Sabbath School Department by HopeChannel.com.